You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Lord, we come before you this morning and we are thankful to be gathered, to be equipped, to be taught by your word and by your spirit. Lord, as as you use me um, to speak this morning, I pray that my word is strictly coming from your heart. Lord, anything that you have to say, I pray that I will be courageous enough to say it. Anything that is not of you, Lord, I pray that it will fall straight to the ground. Lord, we are trusting you to be a people who are all in, to be a people who will withhold nothing from you because you are God and because you love us and because you withheld nothing from us. So teach us this morning, Lord. Have your way in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we've been in, we've been in a series called All In. Can you say all in? All in. And so I, I don't think I need to um, give any more caveats about all in. I've given all kinds of examples of what all in is. Um, but part, part one, we learn of the woman that washed Jesus' feet with her, with her tears and with her hair, right? Her all in required an intimate surrender to Jesus. And so if you could say surrender, can somebody say surrender? Surrender is, is, is one of the first parts or one of the first actions we need to be all in for Jesus. Uh, part two, we, we looked into the life, ministry, and crucifixion of Jesus. Right, The Lord's all in while on earth was exemplified through his sacrifice. And so the second thing we learned in this being all in is, is it's going to take sacrifice. Can somebody say sacrifice? Sacrifice, right? So all in, all in will require complete surrender and complete sacrifice. And, and I know complete surrender and complete sacrifice could sound like, like some hoop dream and, and an impossibility. But friends, we cannot lower the bar because of our inability to see the bigness of God. We absolutely have to be convinced that it takes complete surrender and complete sacrifice. So I want, I want to start off this morning by appealing to um, some of the mathematicians in the room. How many of you love math? All right, it's like two and a half of you. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, for the rest of us, don't worry. This is going to be like fifth grade math, so we're going to be okay. Um, so listen, um, this is a question I'm going to put out there for you guys. If all in were a percentage, what percentage would all in be? What would it be? A hundred percent. Okay. So we have, we have a little graph here. I'm trying to get a little, a little tricky with you guys or a little cute with you guys. We got a hundred percent. Here's a graph. That's one piece of the pie. That's a hundred percent. That is all in. Okay. So let's go back, you know, into your elementary school. If Eve surrenders 50%, but withholds 50%, can she be considered all in? And that looks like that. That's like a 50-50 life. Right. And then let, let's let's go. Let's just say Adam is just a little bit better. OK, so Adam, Adam surrenders ninety nine percent. I mean, that's just a lot as ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent, but withholds one percent. Can Adam be considered all in? Can't be. So we're all on the same page mathematically. Right. So I, I want us to consider this as we dive into this morning, okay? Are you guys okay with me? Yes? Okay. So listen, Jesus' disciple, or Jesus' disciples experienced this 100% firsthand. They experienced it through the life of Jesus. They, they were able to observe Jesus. They, and, and, and listen, as the followers of Jesus, they watched Jesus talk the talk and walk the walk. They watched Jesus encounter every person and every person he encountered, he required they're all in. He told the rich young ruler, I've used him a lot and we're not going to preach about him, or at least I'm not going to preach about him. Uh, we, we used him a lot about, hey, that one thing that he was withholding, that 1% that he was withholding, Jesus says, I want that thing. For the woman who, who, who was an immoral woman, she had to surrender 
that thing to Jesus. Jesus will always require, if not the 50%, he'll require that 1%, that 1% that we're withholding. They took note of every interaction and every person that he touched. What he gave of himself, listen to this, friends, what he gave of himself, the disciples knew that he would require of them. And Jesus didn't hesitate and hold that back from them. If you remember, Jesus was consistently telling his disciples that he is going to go to the cross and he is going to suffer a brutal death. And the disciples never wanted to believe it until it happened. And when it happened, it all made sense because everything that Jesus told them, every time that he told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die on the cross, every time he would, he would kind of massage this into them so that they would have a revelation before they would reject it. But now that he has been crucified, they, they begin to receive it and walk in revelation of it. And when you walk in revelation of something, it makes it a whole lot more possible to be all in. So the disciples watched Jesus talk the talk and walk the walk. They watched him give of himself and they knew that the same would be required of them. They in return would pass on this same standard to every new believer that would come into the kingdom of God. Every new believer that came into the kingdom of God, they began to pass on this same thing to them. And so we, we have to understand that this was the message from the disciples that Jesus gave to them and given to disciples and given to disciples and given to disciples. And somehow I wonder how 2,000 plus years later we have watered down this message that God does not require our all in. In Acts 2, we see the birth of the early church. How many of you have ever read the book of Acts? And in Acts 2, we see the explosion of the, uh, of, of the early church. There's, there's a, um, um, a commentator, Michael Keaton, said, hey, this wasn't the birth of the early church because the birth of the early church started with 12 men. So we can say maybe this is the explosion of the early church. But this is when the early church just begins to just bust at the seams because God, God does something significant. Listen, new, convert, new converts are coming to the faith. Men and women giving their lives to Jesus. And listen to this, sharing their life with a new spiritual family. So if, if we're taking notes, and if, if I don't want anything to get lost in translation, so I'm going to give you this point up front. First week was surrender. The, the next week was sacrifice. And this week, I want us to say sharing. Say sharing. I, I think about toddlers. And how many of you who are parents remember taking your toddler to preschool or to kindergarten for the first time? Any of you remember that? Some of you don't remember. Okay. So when you take that, that child to, to preschool or you know, um, kindergarten for the first time, there's a lesson that they actually need to learn because until that time, they have been their own little person, had their own little things, had their own toys, and now they get put into a room of 20 or 30 kids, and they have to learn to do what? To share. They have to learn to share. I mean, can you, and, and not just share. They're not just sharing their things. They're sharing things that aren't even theirs. I mean, it's a, it's a school's property, but somehow they begin to get stingy with things that aren't even there. And so there's this value of learning to share. And I think that, that this is what happens to us as Christians. When we get saved, listen, friends, we get saved into something. We aren't just saved and, and in and of ourselves, we become a standalone Christian. I am, I am a Christian and, and we're separated. The, the Bible tells us in many different ways that we are connected to the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head. And if he's the head and we are the body, we are connected. The Bible, if we look into, into um, Corinthians 12, 13, 14, we, we get this good, beautiful picture of what it means to be a part of the body and how we're all different, but we all fit together and we're all valuable to each other. But we have to recognize that this thing of sharing, that we get saved into something and now we begin to share a spiritual life with a new spiritual family. And I have to tell his friends, that looks like something. It looks like something. So now that we're, we understand that sharing is this value, um, some, some um, might 
Some of these believers who come to get saved in Acts 2, some of them might have seen Jesus minister. So they might have seen the value of what Jesus did. But listen, there was a large portion um, responding to the gospel post-ascension. So if we remember the day of Pentecost, uh, the, all these people were in Jerusalem for the, for the Pentecost feast. And so those who had traveled back into Jerusalem, they weren't there to see Jesus's ministry. They weren't there to see Jesus's crucifixion. And so they were responding to the gospel for the first time post-ascension. And I want us to know that because I think a lot of times we, we have this understanding like, well, the disciples were able to walk that out because they walked and they talked with Jesus. But I want us to know that that value doesn't change because we didn't see Jesus operate physically. These things have been made known to the church, to the body of believers by his spirit. And if we don't have that revelation, we have to grab a hold of it soon. This is this church's all-in story when we read Acts 2. It's the beginning of their all-in story. And I want to remind us today, church, this is our story. This is our history. We, we can look at the Bible and read these scriptures and be like, oh, those were ancient Palestinians that lived 2,000 plus years ago and they were Jews and you know, we're, we're in East L.A. You know, that, and have this huge disconnect. This is our story. This is where we come from. Um, how, how many of you have ever like seen um, 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 those um, an, Ancestry.com things where, you know, you, and they put a TV show out where people travel back and learn their story and it just are overwhelmed by the origins of who they are. Some bad, some good, some, you know, and, and it's the same with us. Some, some, some of our history isn't so good. But the biblical history that we have Oh, friends, we could stand on every day and we can celebrate it. This is our history. Acts chapter two. I have a lot to read and we need to hurry up. It says then Peter stepped forward with the 11. So remember, this is after the Holy Spirit fell. They were waiting in the upper room. They were praying. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They begin to speak in tongues. All of the onlookers are surrounding and being like, you guys are crazy. What's all these drunk people doing? And this is Peter's response. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Or we could say Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood. When I was a kid, anytime I saw the moon turn red, I would for a trumpet, I'd be freaked out. We should still be in fear, though. Healthy, godly fear. The moon will turn to blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord um, that the Lord arrives. But even uh, I'm sorry, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what will be saved. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And he and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, listen to this, friends, you nailed him to the cross and you killed him. How is this for the first New Testament preach? Powerful. Peter's not holding anything back. He's putting it all out there. You nailed him to the cross and you killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grips. King David said this about him. I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill 
me with the joy of your presence. And so you got to understand as Peter is using this gospel to preach them, he's also using their faith tradition. And he's telling them this thing that King David said long ago, that thing that you believe he is speaking about Jesus. Verse 29, dear brothers and sisters, think about this. Think about that. He's appealing to their tradition. Now he's appealing to their logic. Think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he did. I'm sorry, for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here amongst us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. And you have to understand, friends, you have to understand when we when we get into the understanding of what really took place, that Jesus revealed himself. The, uh, 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 most scholars believe is to at, at least 500, between 500 and 1,000 people. He had revealed himself to post-resurrection. And so as Peter is preaching this thing, you have to believe that there were people amongst them that saw this as well. And I would believe that if this was happening and someone was saying someone raised from the dead, that there would have been a whole crowd of people saying, ain't nobody raised from the dead. There's nobody who rose from the dead. There was no one who disputed this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I lost my place because I got excited about that. 32, thank you. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. And so I got to believe that he was like, how many of you guys love when someone's standing with you? We, you know, Hispanics go, huh? And then everyone's like, yep. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, huh? Everyone's in, right? Yes, he did. Rose from the dead, 32. Now he is exalted to the high place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. Listen, and the father as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and you hear today. I mean, he is explaining to these onlookers, this is what's happening amongst us. And I believe we as Christians, we can't be afraid to, to explain these things to people. We can't be afraid to explain the things of the Holy Spirit. We can't be afraid to explain the nuances of Jesus' death and resurrection and get into these hard conversations that we shy away from. So he's putting it all out there. Verse 34, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool underneath your feet. Verse 36 says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, friends. If you don't understand what just happened culturally right now, Peter could have been ravaged and stoned at the very thought of saying that someone was a Messiah that was not. But as the Holy Spirit was already present and the Holy Spirit was already doing work in that moment, we see that there's a response that begins to rise in these hungry people. Verse 37 says this, friends. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, and I want us to make note of this, brothers, what should we do? If I can use another translation, listen to this. What is required of us? What is required of us? Friends, I think that's such an important question for us as believers. If, if you never... Ask that question of Jesus, even at your salvation moment. I think we need to begin asking that question now. The Bible talks to us and tells us that we need to count the cost. We need to actually know what we're being saved into. We actually need to know what is going to be required of us when we step into this new arena, this new life with Jesus. And this is what Peter says. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized and be what? Baptized 
We're having baptisms on March 14th. You like how I plug that in? It's like a commercial that just happened right now. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourself from this crooked generation generation. Verse 41 says this, here's the fruit of what takes place from that response, from that preach. Those who believed what Peter said. Those who believed. That means there were some who didn't. Just like I believe most of us in this room believe. There are many outside of this room that don't. Those who believed were baptized and added, can you say added? They were added to the church that day. They were added to the church that day in about 3,000 and all. You see, friends, we're saved into something. We're saved into something. We're saved into this, this body that, that, that we, we commonly call the church. And I know we, we think of churches as steeples and buildings, but the church is not a steeple nor a building. We know that. And as, as Christians, we like to say that all the time. But I, I believe that we've allowed things to enter our psyche. Like when we say, I'm going to church. That thing sets into our mindset. And so we only think that church happens for an hour and a half to two hours, depending on how long Jody preaches, on a Sunday. No, we're the church. We get saved into something. We're a part of something bigger than, than a, a little white building situated on 383 South Margaret. What we get saved into, it matters. And we have to be aware of what that means for us corporately to be all in. Peter didn't hold any punches. He didn't sugarcoat it. He na- you nailed him, nailed him to the cross. You killed him. How about that gospel message? <laughs> like Jesus, Peter told them the truth. And a truth that maybe they didn't even want to hear. Upon hearing the truth, the people responded with this. Listen, friends. What is required of us? What is required of us? And Peter's answer was simple. And I'm paraphrasing, friends. Hear me now. You must be all in. You have to be all in. You have to be all in. And it, and, and it looks like this. You must repent. What does that mean? That means you, mean, you must turn from your sinful ways and turn towards God. All in means you're turning from your old self and now you're turning to God. That's, that's a start of your all in. Next, you must be baptized. What does baptism signify? That baptism signifies the death of your old self. You burying your old person, and when you're coming out of that water, washed by the blood of the Lamb, you are a new creation in Christ. You must repent and be baptized. If there isn't a bigger way of saying that you must be all in, I don't know what is. We have to be all in. Repent and baptism. There was no, this was a no turning back moment for them. This was a statement of faith that they were going to make publicly. To the entire culture. You got to believe there's thousands of people now witnessing all this. 3,000 of them respond to the gospel. 3,000 of them get baptized. And all the onlookers now know. Who have just become followers of Jesus. All of those who, who agreed with Jesus being crucified. And believed that it was blasphemy for Jesus to call himself the son of God. And the king of kings. All of those who were able to culturally cut off this group of people. From what Jerusalem was at the time. Were a witness to what they just did. And they were all in. Can you imagine what life was like? To be cut off from your family. You remember the verse we, led, we read last week of, of, hey, some must give up their, their husbands and their wives and, and their women. I mean, it's not the women. Yeah, give up your women if you have a woman. Um, <laughs> husbands, don't give up your women. Um, the sons, their daughters. 
I, I'm going to take, take a while to get you guys back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm used to saying women and children, so I'm sorry. Um, automatic pilot. That verse makes sense. Because when they chose to choose Jesus and be followers of Jesus and now follower of Jesus the Messiah and no longer just Yahweh. Those who, who, who participated in temple worship. Now they were worshiping the son of the living God, Jesus. Do you know the ramifications of that culturally for them? That furniture maker that you used to trade with. You could no longer trade with him. That potter that used to get vessels for cooking and for, for storing herbs and spices, you would no longer be able to do business with. Those sons and daughters who were baptized, turning their back on your family because your family practiced Judaism. Were ostracized from your family inheritance. Do we, do we understand the picture of what this all in meant for them? What we get saved into matters. This was life transforming. It was culture shifting. It was world changing. It's not just a, 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 a little dot on the timeline of the church. This was the fulcrum point. That tipping point. This is where things begin to shift. It was a mega shift in our history. And this isn't where the story ends. Listen to this. In verse 42 of that same chapter, Acts chapter 2. We see that the believers begin to form a community. Can you say community? And so this, this portion of scripture, we rest on heavily in the life of our church. And I'm going to talk some nuances about this. Just so you understand why we lean on this portion of church, a portion of scripture for our church. It says all the believers. Can you say all believers? All believers. This speaks about the priesthood now. This speaks about the priesthood now. We have to understand this defining moment in church history. Before, when it came to temple worship. For, for, the, for the Jews, you did not have access into the presence of God. Only the priests had access to the presence of God. But what we recognize happened when Jesus died on that cross, we see that in the temple, that curtain tore. If you guys have never referenced it, I, I didn't put down the scripture verses, but I'm just going to paraphrase for us. When that curtain tore in the temple, and instead it was split from top to bottom, meaning that only God could initiate that tear. That curtain held the presence of God. It was considered the holies of holies. And the only people who had access to that place was the priests. You had to be ordained. You had to be, man, ceremonially washed and cleansed before you can ever walk into the presence of God. Or listen, friends, you would drop dead on the spot. But when Jesus died on the cross, we recognized that that curtain split and the Holy Spirit was unleashed on all mankind. And that's why Peter was pre uh, preaching that preach and saying, now the Holy Spirit has been poured upon all flesh. And when we read all, all the believers, I mean, this is, this is a very significant thing. All the believers now, it's a priesthood of all believers. Yes, we might be different in function, but we're equal in value. There's no such thing as the priest and, and, the, and, and we like to do this even in church today. Oh, the, the pastors and the deacons, we like to do that stuff. And listen, it, it, that's a function, but it's not difference in value. We're all priests before the God, all believers. I love that. All believers devoted themselves. All believers devoted themselves, which now means we all have a responsibility to our devotion. Each and every one of us. No one can be devoted for us. I can't be devoted on your behalf. You have to be devoted on your own behalf. Because it's no longer me going to make sacrifices for you. It's you standing before God on your own now. All the believers devoted themselves, listen to this, to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers, say all the believers. 
all the believers, not some of the believers, not the ones who wanted to, not the ones who could get off of work, all of the believers, all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. Everything they had, they shared. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And I know for those of you who, who, who love capitalism, you're thinking socialists. And I would be saying biblical. We share. There's a mega shift taking place now because it's not just about me and what I have. It's about us. It's about the community. It's about those who, who God is bringing together. I'm getting ahead of myself. All the believers met together in one place. They sold everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Can you imagine having to go to church each day? Some of us grew up going to church each day. If you didn't grow up like that, you're, you're probably lucky. But They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. Can you say generosity? All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Can you say all people? I mean, this, is, I mean, this picture, I mean, it sounds like utopia. Does it not? Man, I mean, it's just like kumbaya moment. I mean, if you don't know what kumbaya is, it's like an old campfire song. And people used to just hold hands and sing kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. And, and, and it could seem like that, like, oh, this, this, come on, is that real? It's real. All the while praising God, the goodwill of all the people and each day, the Lord, listen to this, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every church leadership has a question of how do I grow my church? How about we look at Acts 2? How about we start being the people that God has called us to be? How about we stop trying to grow the church and we just start being who God has called us to be and watch God add to the church those who are being saved? How powerful is that? Listen to this. How do we, how do we buy in to this corporate all in? Because we have to understand that we, we are saved into something and we're saved into something and we're called to be together. Then not only am I all in, but we have to be all in. How do we buy into that? How do we get there? How do we make that leap as a people? And I think we need to look right here in the scriptures and find out what they did. Look at the patterns of scripture, see what has worked throughout history and begin to model it in our own lives. First and foremost, I'm just going to repeat some of the things I've already said. They devoted themselves. We have to choose individually to devote ourselves to the greater good of the kingdom of God. We have to devote ourselves. All then requires, listen to me, friends, self-discipline. They devoted themselves. They weren't forced to devote. The apostles didn't stand up and say, hey, listen, every one of you need to go sell your houses. You need to go sell your cars. You need to start bringing all of your stuff to us so that we can distribute it to everyone else. That's a cult. They devoted themselves if you're worried about everyone else's all in, listen, friends, if you're worried about someone else devoting themselves, you're losing the battle. If the question in your heart is, well, what about them? You're losing the battle. All in is self-devotion. You must devote yourself. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you requiring of me? They devoted themselves to the word of God. Let me just put that in context for us. Sunday mornings. I'm not trying to be a hero or make our church, you know, the, the end all and be all. But just listen, I'm, I'm saying these things for a reason. They devoted themselves to fellowship, home groups. They devoted themselves to sharing of meals, dining room, Christianity. When's the last time you invited someone to your house to share a meal? And then the Bible, that wasn't a family member. 
Honestly, friends. And then it says the Lord's Supper. And again, I'm not trying to be here, but if you come to my house and you've shared a meal, you'll possibly hear me pray over our meal and say, Lord, thank you for your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken for us. Because I recognize that anyone who sits at my table, it's a holy moment. It's a holy moment. I don't consider that just be like, hey, let's just hang out. I love hanging out. But it's a holy moment. It's a Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to prayer. I know I'm giving a lot of plugs here. 9.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We're here praying. This is what we're doing. These aren't shameless plugs, friends. We don't do these things because they're good ideas. We do them because there's biblical precedence. There's biblical precedence. We do them because these things have held the test of time throughout our church's history. And I'm not talking about Restoration LA. I am talking about the church. And 2,000 plus years strong, we are still going strong because of these values. So we see this thing happen. Spiritual unity. Can you say spiritual unity? Spiritual unity, they met together in one place. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, all the while praising God and enjoying goodwill of the people. There was spiritual unity. We need spiritual unity, church. To be all in, we need to choose to be unified spiritually with this body that God has called us to be a part of. And yes, there is the church universal that we are all a part of. But if we believe that God designs the times and the places for man to dwell, this is our spiritual house. And this is a spiritual house that we need to be unified with. So we see spiritual unity. Can you say spiritual unity? I don't know about you, but all ins is, is always a whole lot easier when there's someone standing next to me. And I know that goes into contrary to like, hey, they devoted themselves. But listen, we cannot do this alone. I mean, just think about it. If you're trying to exercise, isn't it always better when you have a partner with you? Someone who's going to call you short on things. Someone who's going to be like, hey, get up. You know, we're going to do this thing. Like, I don't wanna. But no, you made a commitment. You're not going to leave that guy hanging unless you're a ranker. If you don't know what a ranker is, you didn't, he didn't grow up in East L.A. But. It's a lot easier to do things when there's someone by your side. Listen, a workout partner helps bring accountability. A mentor will help you with keeping your goals. The family helps nurture, grow, and mature. It's the same with the body of Christ. This walk was never meant to walk alone. And if you're doing this thing alone, I, I, I don't want to say this with condemnation. I just, want, I just have to be honest with us. Then you're doing it wrong. This is not meant to be done alone. If you feel alone in your walk, my encouragement to you this morning is press in, get connected, reach out to leadership, reach out to someone in this family to be connected to. How are you doing life with the church that God has called you to be a part of? How are you sharing with this family that God has called you to be a part of. Next, spiritual unity. Next is spiritual generosity. Can you say generosity? One of the most significant signs that anyone is all in, friends, I'm going to get you all uncomfortable right now, is where they put their money. And if you think I'm going to talk about tithes and offerings, I have to talk about tithes and offerings because this is what we see happening in this early church. Where you put your money is a huge indicator of where your priorities are. Someone once said, you show me your calendar and you show me your, your, your checkbook. Nobody has checkbooks anymore. As I say, your bank statement. I'll tell you where your priorities are at. The generosity of this early church was supernatural. It was supernatural. And I think sometimes we just think generosity comes from a place of wealth. We have to understand that these people were oppressed people. They were poor people. These were Jews who were oppressed by the Herodians, who were oppressed by the Romans. They weren't rich people. These were people who were struggling to survive and keep their culture alive. They weren't rich people. But they experienced supernatural generosity. 
They shared everything they had. Can you say everything? The scripture says they shared everything they had. Everything. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Man, some of us won't share a fry. Let alone the last fry on the plate. They shared meals with great joy and generosity. Listen to this, friends. They sold their property and possessions and shared. Can you say shared? They shared the money with those who were in need. This is powerful. And I know we just read this stuff and we're like, yeah, but that's for them. You know, this is 2020. Come on. Friends, do we want biblical blessings? Because if we want biblical blessings, then we need to practice biblical pattern. I think of the widow with her two copper coins. And listen to this. Jesus made a note to show his disciples this very thing. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, it says this. They all gave of their wealth. So there was people walking by the temple and dropping their money into where the things were given. And they were putting their money into the things that were going. And saying, listen, these people were all giving of their wealth. So if you're loaded, I mean, it's easy to just, you know, break off a little change and walk by. That's pretty cool. But he said, notice this woman, the widow. This is what Jesus said. But she, out of her poverty, gave everything. Can you say everything? All that she had to live on. All that she had to live on. She gave her everything. That woman was all in. This was now happening, friends, on a corporate level. This was now happening in a community level. The people were beginning to buy in in a way that was supernatural. And we begin to see these things. When we read this, we're like, come on, is that real? It was real, friends. All in, giving their everything. Listen, friends, today we struggle with a tithe. We struggle with a tithe. And I'm not going to put the graphs back up, but you, you, you've seen the 100% and the 90%. Did you see the sliver on, 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 on the 90% thing? It's a sliver. And I'm not trying to trivialize this because in my life, in the past, I had struggled with the tithe. But I'm telling you, when you give God his first place, it builds momentum. And this is what I want to talk about this culturally too. These people had no issue with the tithe. It was cultural. Jews tithed. There was no questioning. It was who they were. It's what they did. It was like getting up in the morning and starting your coffee. The Jews were on autopilot when it became to the tithe. It was, it was built into the fabric of their culture. There was no struggle with the tithe. And so there's, everyone's always saying, well, where do we see tithe in the New Testament? We see tithe in the New Testament, but never a commandment to tithe again in the New Testament because it was never an issue. One-tenth. I know I had, sorry I had to go here for a minute. When we consider all in, all in, our finances have to be a part of that equation. Our finances have to be a part of that equation because they were for the early church. They were for the early church. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, 21. It says this, where your treasure is or where you put your money, there the desires of your heart will also be. There the desires of your heart will also be. Where you spend your money shows where your heart is at. Shows where your heart is at. And this is what I believe this means when, it, when we consider this thing. When we say, Lord, this is yours first. We put everything in line. We align everything else up in our line. We're saying, Lord, this is yours first. Off the top, without question. It happens with our taxes. And we don't question it. Why? Well, that's the way it is. But this thing of where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I also believe that that's a statement of faith. Because if I do this in faith, even if I don't want to, my heart begins to go in that direction. My heart begins to go into that direction. Because when you start investing in the kingdom in that way, your heart starts to line up with kingdom values. I have a question for us today. When's the last time that we did a spiritual financial audit? 
This is what I mean by that. We really looked at our finances in a spiritual way. Like really, really. Looked at our bank statements and says, what is this saying about my walk with God? And I'm not just talking about the tithe. I'm talking about everything. Because for this church, it was everything. Everything they had was given. And so when we think about our everything, can we really look at the holistic view of our finances and say, does the finances of my life say that I'm a follower of Jesus? I'm going to cause problems this morning. When's the last time you husbands and wives looked at your finances together? Together and said, Lord, what do you require of us? Are you tithing? If not, why not? These are the questions I believe that that we have to be asking ourselves. I'm not going to ever ask you. Unless you're asked onto, onto my leadership team, I will never ask you if you're tithing. Because I just assume as a Christian you are. Because that's just the culture of who we are. We are a generous people. Husbands, if you're keeping your wife in the dark about your finances, you need to repent. You need to be together spiritually unified so that we can be spiritually unified. Young people, tithing just isn't just for old people. It's not just for married couples, you singles. I'm telling you, you start tithing now when you're single, when your money isn't going to mortgages and kids, it's going to be a whole lot easier when that stuff comes. Friends, the Lord has asked for a tenth. A tenth. And I hate to just be hammering this thing. I just want us to know this is a spiritual principle that affects our entire community. The Lord asked for a tenth. This is baseline Christianity. And I know it doesn't feel baseline Christianity because back then it'd be like, you don't tithe? And today it's like, whoa, you tithe. Like, do you see the difference? It's a cultural shift. Something's happened. And we as a people of God have to know that this is the community that we've been drafted into. This is the people that we have become. When we said yes to Jesus and said that we're all in, we said all of it, Lord, what's required of us? Repent and be baptized and now share your life. Share your life. First and foremost, everything with your finances, your entire being goes to God first and then you share it with the world around you. I haven't even gotten into almsgiving, which goes to the poor. Apostolic giving that goes to, to the nations and the planting of churches. I haven't talked about the widows and the orphans. You see, these, this is the community, the supernatural community that we're supposed to be. This is the community that we're endeavoring to become. Are we all in together? Or are we just waiting to see who else is all in first? In Acts chapter 2, this new community of faith would become the model church for all of her predecessors. She was the model church. And I know it sounds like some crazy cult combine thing. They sold everything and everything was kumbaya. But I'm telling you, friends, it was powerful. And it wasn't kumbaya. And these people began to be persecuted and they began to get scattered around all of the known world at the time. And churches began to get planted and people began to get sent. And the gospel of the kingdom began to rise in parts of the world that had never been preached before. And you know how all of it was possible? Supernatural generosity. Do you know what's changed in 2,000 years? Nothing. We're still called to plant churches. We're still called to send people to the nations. We're still called to feed the poor. We're still called to take care of widows and orphans. And we're still called to take care of this body of Christ. This is what God has called us to. To think that our Heavenly Father did not create a financial plan for His bride is absurd. He's a God of order. He wouldn't abandon us. But you know what He takes? It takes His kids tapping into His generous heart and recognizing, Lord, everything I have is Yours. I want to stir our faith today. We're not taking another offering, so you're all right. 
I really believe that the Lord is beginning to accelerate things in the life of our church in ways that is going to call us to be super naturally all in. And I know that I'm well beyond time, but please just hear my heart. People are going to be saved at a rapid rate because the people of God are going to take this gospel seriously in this next season. And when we see people coming into the life of the church, they're going to be the hurting. They're going to be the poor. And it's going to take a supernatural church to begin to step up to the plate and do supernatural things in a community like the one that we serve. I'm going to throw out something to hopefully provoke your faith. Details are yet to be given, but in about a year's time, Restoration LA is planting a church. Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared to send and to bless and to be this generous church that God has called us to be? This isn't just about us. This isn't just about this building. This isn't just about this community. This is about the kingdom of God. And when people buy in and say, we are all in, there's nothing that we will withhold from him. Nothing. So my question for us, and I'll end with this. Are we all in? Do we believe that the nations need to be touched, that churches need to be planted, that the poor need to be looked after, that widows and orphans need care. And are we prepared to do that? Because friends, that's far more than a tenth. That's all in. Will you guys stand with me this morning? I don't want to leave you strictly on the financial thought. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They were spiritually unified and there was spiritual generosity. I don't believe there's a person in this room who doesn't want to live in that. So I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand for anything. I'm just going to ask us all to just do a spiritual audit. And hopefully, before God, we're able to ask this, Lord, what do you require of us? Jesus, everything we have is yours. Lord, I pray there's nothing in our lives that we would withhold from you or from your mission. We trust you, Jesus. We trust your pattern and we trust your word. Have your way. Have your way in us and through us. May we truly be a people who are all in at all cost in every moment until kingdom come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.